0: If you have your Bible this morning, and I hope you do, turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Continuing a study through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. The series is entitled, Redeeming Genesis. Uh, We'll remind ourselves, we call it Redeeming Genesis for two reasons. One, uh, it's important that we don't look at the book of Genesis simply as some Sunday school material but that it's real events that had real impacts on the rest of human history. And there's some some graphic nature in Genesis 1-11, through some, some horrible sin and some beautiful stories of God's love. But we also call it Redeeming Genesis because in every chapter, every time you turn a page, there's another reminder that God's purpose for humanity is redemption. The fall that occurred in Genesis chapter 3 could have been the end of the story. A very short book that was written, God made it perfect, man messed it up, God punished it, the end. And yet we have a continuation of the story unfold where God shares with us over and over and over again his desire to love and redeem his creation. And so this morning we're looking at Genesis 6 and 7, beginning the story of Noah in looking at judgment and mercy. When you think of the words judgment and mercy, do you normally pair those together or put them at odds with each other? I think if you're like most people, you split them, right? There's the judgment of God, and there's the mercy of God. There's God in His wrath, and there's God in His grace. There's the God who punishes and there's the God who forgives almost as if we serve two different gods in the Bible Sometimes people will even split the Bible in half and they'll say that Old Testament portion Genesis through Malachi. There's 39 books where God is the God of judgment And then Matthew, Mark, Luke, John come and tell us the story of Jesus. And the rest of the Bible, that New Testament, Matthew through Revelation, that's where Jesus comes and shows us his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. We take these two attributes of God and we almost create two separate deities, as if God is bipolar somehow. And there are sometimes we act and he gets mad and judges, and sometimes we act and he's kind and compassionate. And merciful. This morning, as we start to read the story of Noah, we're not going to get all the way through Noah's story. We'll finish that up next week. As we start to see how the earth is currently constructed and, and who is living and what they're doing, we're going to see a lot of God's judgment and a lot of God's mercy interwoven in the same story. It's almost as if there's really only one God. It almost presents itself as if judgment and mercy aren't at odds, but they come rightly and justly through the same all-loving, all-powerful, all-perfect being. So we're going to change our mindset this morning about God's judgment and mercy. Not that they are at odds with one another, but I'm going to show you in the story of Noah God is going to reveal to us through these two chapters that judgment and mercy are actually dependent on each other. You cannot have the mercy of God without the judgment of God, and you would not know the sweetness of his mercy without his judgment. We're going to uh, read the story of Noah, and what I would love to have done in a different type of series is share with you some of the difficulties in the story of Noah. Maybe you've heard some of these arguments, maybe you've thought them yourselves. maybe you've got questions and it's hard to understand uh, exactly what's going on with Noah. Some common questions we have because we're used to seeing the flannel graph is we see the boat that's about yay big on the board with a giraffe that's about yay big sticking his head out of the top and the giraffe is as big as the boat and you read the story of Noah and you go he took two of every animal. How did he fit them all on the ark? Right? How did they all get on there and cram on there? Or maybe you look and you say Noah was how old when God called him to build the ark? How did he have the strength to do that? Or maybe you look and you say, wait a second, God is is doing something miraculously to flood the entire earth? Do we see any evidence that God actually did that? Is it possible? Is there enough water... In our earthly creation that the entire globe including the highest mountaintops are covered Can I tell you there are a lot of questions that people have when it comes to the story of Noah and in a different series Maybe in a Bible study setting. I would love to talk about these things this morning I I can't so what I want to do before we delve into the Word of God and look at God's judgment and mercy is maybe give you a resource So if you take notes, you can write this down. Uh, There are a ton of resources in a ministry that actually we use several different places in our church, including Bible school, including JAM, including uh, some of our other Bible studies that we've done. Uh, It is a ministry called Answers in Genesis. And you can actually go to their website, www.answersingenesis.org. And I can promise you they'll answer questions you didn't know you had. As a matter of fact, I love just, you'll have to go and get the resources, maybe talk to me later. The question about how did all the animals fit on the ark, as you start to study the animals around us, you start asking the question, not how did God fit all the animals on the ark, but why did God make Noah build a boat so big he didn't need all that space for those animals? Now, if that's piqued your interest, there's your resource, there's your website. You can come talk to me afterwards, or you can go down that rabbit hole on your own if you want some great resources there. Now, I want to give that to you before we delve into judgment and mercy this morning. We're going to get ready to read uh, almost all of chapter 6, and we'll we'll highlight a few verses in chapter 7. As we we get ready to, to open up God's Word and read together, would you repeat these phrases after me if you believe them? The Bible is the Word of God. God. What it teaches, I will believe. believe. What it commands, I will obey. obey. And when it convicts, I will change. These statements are important for us to remember as we study difficult passages of Scripture and we have all of these questions. What the Bible teaches, we will believe because this is the very words of God. Let's read chapter 6 together. We're going to actually start in verse 9 and read through the end of the chapter. And then uh, we'll kind of come back and, and see how God is teaching us about his judgment and mercy. These are the generations of Noah in verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was Filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. This is how you are to make it. Uh, we, we skipped a verse in there. It's not on the screen. He commands Noah to build an ark. And he says, this is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make your, There, it's out of order. How about that? This is, this is the imperfect uh, preacher reading his scriptures. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood and make room in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it, the length of the ark, 300 cubits, the breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kind, and of the animals according to their kinds, and every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you. To keep them alive, also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. As, as we read chapter 6, we read about a world that has gone from perfect to corrupt, from bad to worse, and ultimately to a world filled with violence and sin. We looked last week at at the generations that came after Adam and how as the creation had reached maybe a complete state, we get an example of just utter depravity and sin. I know you guys love it when I preach on sin. Everybody loves to hear a preacher who preaches on sin. And here we are again, looking at Genesis chapter 6, at a world that is full of sin. The Bible is the Word of God, and I don't get to pick what I preach. Instead, as we read Scripture, we find very clearly the extent of sin. What has happened to this world that God has made? How bad has it really gotten? You see, sometimes I think we look at our world around us and we see brokenness, we see a fallen world, we see sin and horrible things out there. But we forget to ask our question, what about the sin in here? What about the extent of sin in my own life? I think it's notable that God looked on the face of the earth and he saw that all of creation all of humanity, every animal with breath, all of it was fallen and filled with violence. That's what he tells us in in verses 11 through 12. The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and behold it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Every last bit of this world is not just broken, it is wicked and evil. I think too often it's really easy for us to look at sin as being something that is bad, but it could be worse. Sin is no good. We want to stay away from it. We're in church. How many of you all pay attention to the question, wake up before you answer it? How many of you all say, I wish I sinned a little bit more? Anybody in here want to, to admit or confess it'd be nice if I would just do more horrible things. Anybody? All of us want to to put sin away. And yet, when it comes to our everyday lives, the truth is we go, but at least I'm not that bad. I think it's important that we remind ourselves of the extent of sin, not just in Noah's day, but the extent of sin today. Can I ask you, do you think Noah's day was more sinful or less sinful than America in 2021? About the same. Some of you grimaced and go, man, could it be much worse than it is now? You know, could Noah's day really be much worse? The world is characterized by violence. Do we characterize our world by violence? Could you characterize our world with violence? I wonder if you went over to the Middle East right now, how you would characterize the world. I wonder if you'd go to some of our cities, and especially last year with, with riots, how you would characterize them by violence. I wonder if you, you looked at the world as an outsider looking in, if you would say, they're mostly peaceful people. I think what we'd find, and all you have to do is turn on your nightly news to see the extent of sin in our world, is violence. But the problem is, we're so busy looking at the violence out there, God's trying to point our own attention to our own violence in our hearts. Notice that all of creation is corrupt. It's not that most of... I think there were probably some good people living in Noah's day. Some guys who pretty much kept to themselves, farmed the land, raised their families, tried to do good things... And God looks at them and he says, all of creation is corrupt. I think it's important, too, we're going to find that God finds a worthy man, not worthy is not the right word, a righteous man who he chooses to save on the ark. But is Noah included in the violent creation that God is describing here? Yes, he is. Noah himself looks at his own heart and sees the extent of his own sin. Here, as we read a few chapters ahead, we're going to find that Noah was was far from a perfect individual. He had a lot of flaws and sins of his own. The extent of sin had reached a place where every single person was impacted, and today it's no different. The, The flood did not cure the problem of sin. Instead, it displayed the judgment of God. And so that's what else we find is, with the extent of sin, the necessity of Judgment. Judgment was not something God did because he thought it was a good idea. It was something he was required to do. When God in his perfect state sees sin, he has no choice but to punish it. And I know we get in our minds because we we don't understand the extent of sin. And we start saying things like, but really, did he have to destroy the whole world? What about that farmer who was just trying to live his life and raise his family? Was the world really that bad? Even today, I don't think any of us wish that a meteor would come and destroy the earth. It's a sinful place, but come on, you don't have to just wreck it, right? Why does God punish sin so severely? Was the judgment really necessary? We see the judgment pretty powerful in chapter 7. Verses 19 and 21, it tells us the judgment that came. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains were under the whole, uh, under the whole heaven were covered. Now, I, I want you, before we read the next couple of verses, to take the flannel Noah out of your mind, and I want you to put actual people in these next few verses. Actual created beings. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything perishes. This is the severity of the judgment that God brings. When we don't understand the extent of sin, we don't understand the severity of judgment. When we think sin is not that bad, we look and say, this is too much. The truth is, everything is destroyed. The only thing God spares in verse 23, only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. There is not a, a single creature with breath in its lungs, no land creature of any kind that survives God's judgment. And so when you see the flanograph water and you replace it with human beings drowning, this is a graphic depiction of God's judgment against sin. Why is God so severe in his dealing with sin? Well, it begins with understanding the extent of sin, but it also helps to understand the perfection of God. We say this often. But when perfection is lost, it cannot be regained. It is a permanent loss. You know this because if you take a, a glass vase and you throw it on the ground and shatter it and break it, no amount of glue will ever be able to assemble that vase back to the condition it was before. You have now permanently altered that vase in a way that you will never be able to redeem. So the severity of God's judgment is because of the severity of even the smallest sin. God cannot in His perfection, in His perfect state, cannot endure the presence of sin. And so His judgment is needed. We read those verses in chapter 6, verse 13. Read the necessity. God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh. Why? Why the severity of judgment? For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I'll destroy them with all the earth. God's judgment is a necessary part of who he is because he's perfect and we're not. This is a really important truth, difficult truth to grasp. It's why we remind ourselves before we read things like this, what the Bible teaches, I will believe. What it commands, I will obey. And in this case, when it convicts and it points to my own sin, I will examine my own heart. The necessity of God's judgment on the world was not just for the world. The necessity of God's judgment is for your heart and my heart. You and I deserve the floodwaters. You and I deserve the judgment. You and I deserve the death. Praise God that God did not stop writing at Genesis 3. He did not give us the next few chapters just to say, okay, it took me a little bit, but I gave up on them. Because as we see God's judgment, we see he has a plan. And God reveals to Noah a plan for salvation. Did you ever think this out for just a moment? God didn't accidentally save Noah. And he didn't even miraculously just levitate him either. God gives him such specific instructions that it's a reminder God from the start had a plan to take care of humanity. He was going to save Noah, not just by some miraculous sparing, but he gave Noah a way to participate, a way to trust, a way to have faith and to be a part of the plan. It begins with a simple command in verse 14. Noah, make yourself an ark. Now, you can read these four words, make yourself an ark and see God's plan, but, but you know, because we read them a moment ago, the plan is detailed. Make it this big, make it this high, make it with this type of wood, uh, make it three levels, make sure you can have this sort of space here, and, and here's the dimensions. It's, it's so detailed, because God has a plan. God doesn't say, Noah, waters are coming. Figure something out to survive. Get you a sturdy canoe. God says, I've got a plan to save you. Here's the detailed plan that I lay before you. Not only that, but God said, not only you, but I want you to save all of creation through your faithfulness. And so he gives him more of his plan. In verse 19, he says, Every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Don't miss God's plan here. right? Let's save all of creation. And and so bring two of every kind on the ark. And Noah, just in case... You're as dense as the people in 2021 and don't understand how gender and recreation works. Get you male and get you female. That's part of my plan and part of the plan I'm giving you, right? Bring them on the ark so we can save the rest of creation. God has a plan, and he gives it to Noah. And then he tells him, okay, Noah gets everybody on the ark, and he's got to be thinking, they're going to get hungry, right? God's got that figured out, too. Look in verse 19. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. and you shall, It shall serve as food for you and for them. God says, I've got a plan. Get you some food. You can feed the animals. Get enough to feed yourself and your family. Get it all on the ark. Build it this dimension. And let's, let's do this. God, in his judgment, does not desire to see humanity wiped out. His desire is for redemption and salvation. And Can I say confidently, if God had a plan for Noah, God has a plan for you. I don't anticipate God coming to you in a vision or a dream and saying, build an ark. (laughs) I don't see him coming and saying, let me write out the details for you. And because I know you'll get confused, let me point out some obvious things to you. Make sure you do these and have these steps. Instead, God has revealed his plan to us in the word of God. And there's an act of faith saying, God, I'm going to know your word and live it out. The problem is sometimes we don't follow God's perfect plan because it doesn't make sense. So much about the Noah story. (laughs) Just, it doesn't make sense to me. And I know you've got some questions and you can check that resource if you like, but I'm just going as Noah the person it's not going to make sense to me for, for God to come and say, I'm going to flood the whole earth, right? I'm looking around going, God, is there enough water? How are you going to do that? Where's all this water coming from? God, aren't I too old to do this? I've got some sons that can help me out, but for crying out loud, by the time the flood comes, Noah's going to be 600. 600, let that sink in. My back is hurting in my 30s from moving a couple of pieces of wood on Saturday. I mean, Noah is an old man. This doesn't make any sense. God says, build it to this proportion. Can I tell you, I don't believe that a building of any kind had been built of that proportion that we're aware of. We know cities have been built, but this is a massive, massive building boat. He gives him all these detailed plans. Noah's got to be saying, I don't see how this is going to happen. Not to mention all those around who are going, why are you building this? What are you doing, Noah? this doesn't make any sense. There's not enough water to flood us. You know what? You go ahead and build your boat. I'm going to go up to the top of that mountain and I'll be fine. And even when we follow God's plan, can we admit for just a moment that sometimes God throws us a curveball in the midst of the curveballs? Because a verse that I often missed about God's plan in this is that Noah gets on the boat and I always assume the rain's starting as he's shutting the door. Here it comes, Better get in the boat and lock it up. Here comes the rain. But, but look with me in verse 10 of chapter seven. "Noah gets in the boat, and after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth." Do you ever catch that verse before that Noah got on the boat and sat there in dryness for a week? Do you think he went, God? Where's your plan? Where's the water? God, I know you said you were going to do this, and I built this boat. Here I am on Monday. Okay, it'll come on Tuesday. Guys, just stay in the boat. It's getting a little smelly in here, but don't open the windows quite yet. The rain's coming, right? Nothing happens on Monday or Tuesday and Wednesday. By Thursday and Friday, you know his sons are going, Dad, this was a mistake, right? We got to get out of here. All the people on the outside have got to be going, how long is Noah going to live in his boat? They're probably beating on the sides going, Noah, you're a fool. Are you ever going to come out? You're going to starve to death in there. Those animals are going to kill you. What are you doing? God's plan makes no sense. I tell you, sometimes God's plan for your life, even his call to salvation, seems crazy and out there. And it feels like forever that you're just sitting and waiting for God to speak and move. Seven days... Noah sits on the boat in the arid climate with no rain. And I tell you, God's plan doesn't always make all the sense, but his plan ultimately, with all the craziness and all the questions and all the doubts, is to lead you to salvation, is to make you trust him more. Of course, the rains do come. God does save Noah. His plan of salvation is perfect. And what we find in this plan of salvation is we move from judgment to mercy. We see God's mercy on Noah and his family, the mercy of redemption. One verse that highlights the goodness of God's mercy and redemption is when he speaks to Noah and he doesn't look at Noah and say, you're fallen and you're sinful like everybody else, although he is. He doesn't look at Noah and he, he doesn't say you're worthy and there's a reason why I'm saving you and your family. You guys are the good ones. He doesn't look at Noah and he doesn't say how dare you or look how great. He doesn't do anything except, except call him his child. Look at in verse 18. I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, your sons, your wife, and your son's wife with you. He doesn't say Noah you're worthy or unworthy. He doesn't say there's anything about you that makes you special. He doesn't say there's there's nothing that you have done or can do to earn anything. He just says, I'm going to save you. And I'm making a covenant promise, a guarantee that I'm saving humanity through you. This is mercy because Noah did not deserve to be on the inside of the boat. He deserved to be on the outside. God's promise is redemption. There's mercy and there's forgiveness. Only because of the judgment did Noah receive mercy. With no flood, there's no mercy. With no rain, there's no ark. With no sin, there's no salvation. We see the mercy of redemption in Noah's life. And we're reminded that the judgment in our own lives, the conviction you feel even today as we sit here and think of the extent of our own sin and our own heart, that conviction is not made to make you feel guilty forever. It's made to make you feel guilty and realize there's a God who gives mercy. There's a God who gives forgiveness. And so the judgment that you're worried about, most people, they're just so judgmental. The Bible, it just makes me feel bad all the time. The sin, it just eats away at my heart. That judgment is there not to make you feel horrible about yourself, but to remind you of your need for God's forgiveness. Can I tell you the mercy side of God that comes after the judgment, the forgiveness side of God, is everything you dream it will be. Oh, your life's not perfect. You still have ups and downs and struggles. There's assurance that God loves you perfectly. Perfectly. And when the plan doesn't make sense, there's a promise that God's going to keep his word. When we experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the guilt and the shame can be wiped and washed away in the mercy and the redemption of God's love. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, what a powerful reminder of a man who did nothing to earn your mercy and did everything to deserve your judgment. What a powerful reminder that the God who judges is the God who shows mercy. Father, this morning, the extent of my own sin, the extent of the sin of all of us sitting in here this morning is deserving of your eternal punishment. Lord, forgive us. Lord, we thank you that you have a plan of salvation for us. You've not left us alone, but you have a purpose and a will and a way to bring us back to you. So Lord, let us just accept your covenant promise. Accept your mercy and forgiveness. Lord, as your mercy is fully realized in the New Testament, it tells us everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Lord, if your promise is true in the Old Testament, it's true in the New Testament. Lord, I pray that we would call on your name this morning. That through your son, Jesus Christ, we can have mercy and forgiveness of sins. Father, we praise you for being a God who gives us great salvation. And we ask now that you would would convict our hearts and call us to you. Lord, let let us faithfully serve you the way Noah did. Let us faithfully yield the way Noah did. Let us faithfully receive your mercy in grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.